Hey, Johnny and I are back, and we were covering the articles earlier, but the special guest article this week was uh, out of the Realization Group, but uh, Olaf Ransom is going to actually be talking about the article uh, written with our old friend Helen Disney, right? Olaf, yep. is, uh, are you just a key player or a, a professional in, or a subject matter expert? I like that term. Well, let's let's uh, start with the last. And first off, uh, hello to everybody, and thanks for having me on. So, um, I'm something of an expert in and around things digital. Although I'm one of those tradfi kind of people who is doing his best to understand um, all things DeFi, fintech, blockchain, whichever of those. Um, uh, we should go bowling. You like, and. Uh, I, I spend a lot of my time as that bridge between the old world and the new world, either helping the old world guys understand the new or the new world guys understand the old. And I work very closely with the Realization Group and uh, been a client of theirs uh, at points in the past. And we spend a lot of time talking about how the old and the new are going to go together. And that's uh, where the era of convergence came from. And um, we're cooperating on, on a number of themes. And so Helen nicely volunteered me for Friday afternoon juicy here in Zurich to, uh, to join the show. Johnny well, does that to me all the time, right, Johnny? You're always yeah, volunteering I'm... me to do stuff. Always volunteering. Well, you're so good at it, James. That's that's the problem. But Olaf, uh, yeah, wel- welcome to the Digibyte show and delighted um, you've, you've managed to sort of come on and, and talk to us because I think the topic um, matter is, is, well, it's interesting to me because I've been in financial services for, you know, for, you know almost when God was a boy. Um, but this whole thing, era of convergence, do you mind just explain what do you mean by that? What's, what's going on? I think here's the, here's the easy way to look at this. A lot of the, the new fintech stuff feels a bit like it's the new and it's just going to displace the old. New is good. Old is bad. Old is going to win. Old is going to lose and, and new is going to win. Uh, and I, I just don't see it being that you know if you think about how many assets are managed by the tradfi world um what breadth they have across the world it's just not realistic that hang on hang on if we need to because this is going literally all over the world um cyber have got about 4.6 million listeners in every continent what do you mean by tradfi what do you mean by DeFi? okay right so TradFi, all the old-fashioned stuff of banks, brokerages, and actually the way we do things today in financial services, um, whether, whether it's universal banking as you have it in, here in Switzerland or having a bank and a broker as you have it in the States, um, DeFi tends to get used as the catch-all for all, all things new from blockchain to DLT to, um, to, to decentralized finance itself and is this new world and so as we thought about or better said as we started to talk about this era of convergence we're trying to articulate how we think the new DeFi and all its variations will blend in with the old um the banking and financial market infrastructure that we have today Okay, so we on the one hand we've got stockbrokers and banks and asset management companies, um, you know, qu- quoting companies and issuing debt instruments and moving cash around. That's the traditional world that most of us sort of bump into occasionally 
um, you know, if we want to get involved in stock markets and things, and we all get involved in if we want to send money, certainly overseas. And that's what was, if you like. But what we're now seeing are um, decentralized finance. I Sometimes it's possible to send value money um, without dealing with a bank, without going to the normal exchange houses. And we've seen, obviously, the initial sort of stuff was crypto, but we're, we're seeing it's a lot more than just the crypto markets when you talk about DeFi, aren't you? Yes. Um, easy to add into that. Uh, things like stable coins. Um, we'll come back to those in a second. Uh, easy to add into that. Things around DeFi, like automatic, automated market making, um, new ways in which transactions come to pass. Um, but I might give an example of how new and old goes together, just from something I've been working on this week with uh, some friends of mine. Listeners might have seen uh, in the news this week that FTX has done a tie-up with Visa. And what FTX has said is, hey, we FTX will let you pay using Visa. And underneath it, the thing you can use to pay is your account at FTX. So what they're saying is, in our new world, FTX, where we let you hold assets, we'll let you make a payment with that to some merchant through the Visa network, which is pretty big and acceptable. And when you come to pay, we'll slice off a little bit of your one or other asset, like almost slicing a truffle, and let you pay for stuff. Wow, this is great. Because if you're an investor, it means you can invest your money in the markets. You don't have to make a decision between I bought some stocks and shares or some tokens and I've got my money in my checking account. You can put all your assets in one place and continue to buy things. You've got optionality. You're, you're still in the markets. Like, wow, that's clever because that there's the new world. FTX um, is... Uh, made its name as a crypto exchange and then doing business in and around crypto. They're doing a lot more than that now. But that's an interesting move where you see a new player offering a convergence with the old world. Visa is something we know uh, for merchants. And literally, besides that, I've had three other conversations this week of people going, well, what about if the merchants could just get the payments from clients' crypto wallets and completely cut out the, the old-fashioned Visa and MasterCard network. So you can see enormous uh, strides of innovation, lots of stuff happening and happening very fast. Um, but somehow, look, the two worlds need to, uh, need, need to coexist. Right. And uh, well, interesting, you're talking about things like that. Um, I see Swift made an announcement that they're working on um, being able to handle central bank digital currencies. Obviously, Swift is the messaging service. It yeah. doesn't actually move money, but it just enables all the banks or 11,500 of the banks around the world to communicate with each other. But what I thought was interesting, Ola, was that not only are they working on um, the ability for banks to be able to move um, a digital currency between each other, a central bank digital currency, but they were saying it's also possible potentially um, to move other securities like equities and debt instruments. And that kind of then raised the question, are you going to cut out the stock exchanges and the clearinghouses and the banks can just swap things themselves? And that all sounds very sort of 
new and DeFi-ish to me. Yeah. So first, a little confession. Reading the Swift announcement is on the to-do list for the week. Didn't have time to digest all of it. I stopped getting excited when it said they were going to move CBDC because um, I, I found that sort of somewhat amusing because uh, I think that um, the, those networks that support CBDC, be they public, uh, be they controlled by the, the central banks, which is kind of essential because otherwise you don't have CBDC yeah. um, or private equivalents or ESOPs, CBDC, if you like, like finality and limit. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't actually see that SWIFT is going to have a role in that. Um, whether or not they have a role in transferring securities, possibly. Um, haven't, haven't yet given that um, too much thought. Um, there, there will be a debate over whether you use um, the public blockchain for messages or whether you need a secure network, which is what SWIFT is. Um, interestingly, when you talk to people in the markets about how do you transmit orders from a bank or broker to a crypto exchange, yep. there's no SWIFT in sight. And... Literally, at the moment, all those involved are quite happy with a VPN. So I I understand why Swift would come out and say these things. I would have to give this some analysis as to whether they've really thought this through um, and, and quite which message flows they might be involved in. Um, and also the SWIFT network is relying on the fact that there is, at least in securities, a post-trade set of events to happen. Um, increasingly, if you look around at what's happening, um, everything has to be pre-funded in crypto land. Yep. Pre-funding can be a pain in the neck because it requires you to make decisions about where to locate securities or, or cash liquidity. However, if everything else is in place, like repo, um, securities lending, money markets, then that can happen. And if that's true, then there's very little, if any, post-trade. And if there's no post-trade, then at least in the securities business, lots of the messages that Swift send are no longer necessary. No longer required. Yeah. But interesting to see that that you know fairly august organisations being the centre. Look, let's be honest. Most of us um, don't know what Swift is. They don't. They don't. They've never really heard of it. But it is something which you know the banks use on a daily basis to basically tally up and say what what each of them owe each other at the end of the day. So it's interesting. Something at the core of, as you say, the trad world um, has come out with a public statement, um, not just about CBDCs, but saying, but we're looking at other digital securities. I think. Um, it only plays to what you're saying in terms of this era of convergence as we're seeing people sort of or, or organizations coming into this. Yep, absolutely right. And I think yeah, or, that shows you that those organizations, as you said, the august bodies of the, of the status quo are serious enough to look closely at what digital assets and the way they will be 
moved and stored in the future means for them. Um, so that that is a good thing. Uh, Swift is a super valuable network. It connects up a, a huge number of banks and ensures that there are trusted relationships for them to exchange messages. Um, that value is not all going to go away. We're not all going to be able to communicate point to point. We Somewhere in all of this, you need this network that says, hey, there are people on the network who wants to do business with each other and will help make sure that uh, you guys know where each other can be found and can trust each other and we'll, we can simplify movements between you. Um, certainly uh, more studying and work and analysis um, to be done um, and SWIFT will undoubtedly evolve in that. Isn't, isn't, this, isn't this what you're saying in your article? You're saying... You, I was interested in you, you made a comment that in the wider context of digital transformation and convergence is a shift in the underlying infrastructure. And you're then talking about Internet of Information moving to what the Internet of Value Transfer and Web3. Do you mind elaborate just a little bit on that and how you see Web3 sort of becoming more, 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 more important? Yeah, here's, here's my favourite Web3, what might be possible story of the moment. Um, but I, I was actually talking about the potential client the other day. Um, imagine that I, I want to pay some money to you, Johnny, and I'd, I'd have to ring you up and go, I'm going to pay you some pounds, and you tell me where you're banking it, but it might be Lloyd's, and I would then have to send a payment to say, send some money to Lloyd to my bank, please send some money over to Lloyd's for Johnny's account. Mm-hmm. But I've got to keep track of all this information about Johnny and where he has his account. Um, imagine that in Web3, Johnny had his own address. Johnny on the web, for want of any better expression. And I could just say, send pounds to Johnny on the web. If behind the scenes, Lloyd's was the sponsor of Johnny's wallet to make sure that all that good AML and KYC stuff got done and that Johnny wasn't a, a bad person in any way, shape, or form. But even though we know you're not, but we still have to do all of that testing stuff. If one day then you thought that Lloyd's really wasn't a good home for your, your wallet, you know, even though they very nicely back it up and make sure that you don't lose any securities or any money and you thought it would be good to go to Barclays, imagine you could go to Barclays with the same lack of friction that you can move your mobile phone number to another provider. I would still be sending money to Johnny. The fact that Barclays are now looking after Johnny's Web3 wallet behind the scenes, well, I don't even know about it. Johnny's very happy. Johnny's got a nice new service and he gets, I don't know, Barclay points or something, um, or one Premier League ticket every 300 years or whatever nice things they want to give to you. Um, and uh, everything's much easier. Uh, you, if you moved, you wouldn't have to get all your direct debits resorted. Um, much, much less friction. That could be an easy outcome if we use this Web3 type structure. Suddenly, completely new um, possibilities. Um, or even a, an example on the security side of the house. Um, there's a big debate 
around all this new DeFi fintech stuff about public blockchain versus private blockchain. Um, very easy to make the case that money will be on private blockchain because of central bank control. That's fine. It's also easy, I think, to make the case that security is the best place on the public blockchain. Um, imagine, and I can give you a good example of this. The main newspaper in Switzerland, the NZZ, they will not let you register your shares if you are not a member of a certain political party. Now, we can philosophize at length about whether that's a good or a bad thing, but let's just tolerate it for a second. Mm -hmm. But imagine I had some of these shares in the wallet and I actually wanted to go and vote at the next uh, AGM of this particular company. They could easily test whether I'm entitled to vote in a Web3 type of world because the political party in question, our Liberal Party, might issue me an NFT to say, Olaf Ransom is a card-carrying member of. And then, you know, hey, presto, some of those things get very easy, where today they're not necessarily easy. I'd probably, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not a shareholder in that particular company. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But if, I, if I wanted to register my interest, I'd probably have to get a notarized copy of my party card or something and do a whole bunch of admin, blah, blah. Yeah. to get to go and vote. Um, but suddenly you can combine those two things on the security side and do things in uh, a different way by, by composing assets together, the share and the NFT, or conceivably I could decompose it and say, well, I own the share and I, I think this newspaper is going to do really well economically. I'd love to have the upside. Um, but you know, my, main, my mate Fred, who's a, card carrying member of the Liberal Party, he'd love to go and vote. And I could pass that to him. Fine. That's all right. He's, he's got the token. So, so Olaf, got... It, it sounds to me, just listening to you, it sounds, uh, at the moment, a lot of financial services is um, it, it is full of mumbo-jumbo. It's full of terminology. It's yeah. quite complicated for people to understand. It's not very user-friendly. It yeah. sounds yeah. like Web3 promises to make things a little bit more user-friendly, bring a lot more transparency um, and hopefully bring a bit more confidence and trust from the, the lady and man in the high street to maybe start re-engaging with the companies and the financial services um, industry, which surely is no bad thing. Um, interesting. Of all the things I've thought about this week, about what Web3 changes, that engagement wasn't on the list. And then thank you so much for pointing that out. Yet yeah, you're right. The, the easier the... Um, what some of the our tech friends would call the UX is the user experience, um, the more likely um, they are to engage with it. Um, I think as well, you can make some of those things more fun to do. Yeah. Um, in you know, for for example, um, well, let's just let's just think of one. There used to be, um, and I've done this in the past. There's a wonderful Swiss chocolate company called Linton Sprinley. And if you if you registered your shares in the past and you went to the AGM, you were, you could get some chocolate on the way out. Free chocolate. <laughs> Free chocolate. Quite a, quite a considerable quantity of chocolate, actually. But you had to register your shares and you had to go to the AGM, which is a bit of a bit of a ball ache, right? And it's here in Switzerland, which of course is a nice place, but nonetheless. Now imagine if 
we go to this Web3 thing and it's really obvious to Lynch Brimley that Johnny uh, has got some shares. Johnny has in the UK, but they could send you uh, effectively um, what our nice techie friends call an airdrop of chocolate vouchers and enable Johnny to enjoy uh, some chocolate. He did vote at the AGM because he was allowed to. Now, being British didn't exclude us, uh, even if at times we do eat that awful cabris chocolate. Um, and then they sent you some vouchers to get some some chocolate. So suddenly, you know, it's more interesting for Johnny to be a shareholder in Lincoln Springley. It's like, yeah, well, it's kind of nice. They make some profit. But I also get these nice chocolates every year. So <laughs> I suppose one would call that gamification of some kind. You, you, that's exactly the type of thing you can do to make it more interesting um, to be a shareholder. Uh, I've even heard recently of suggestions around voting that if mutual funds own stakes in companies and Olaf owns mutual funds, Olaf should get that share of the vote in the company rather than the mutual fund having it. Um, yep. Today, with the infrastructure we have, this would it wouldn't be, allow that. It just wouldn't allow. Well, that. It just it'd just be a gargantuan mess, um, and, and the, the numbers would um, would never add up. But one of the things about it's interesting about you know, once you put stuff on the public blockchain, if there are a hundred shares in company X, everybody can see where the hundred shares are. They know that they're in wallets A, B, C, D, whatever it is. They don't necessarily know who owns ABCD. They don't know where the owners of ABCD live, but it's painfully obvious to all and totally transparent where they are. That's probably a good thing. Um, and you, you see a lot of a lot of work coming out of people like Chain Chainalysis about fraud and movements of crypto. It's easy to follow because it's all public. But but Olive, that's exactly what I'm saying. You, you'll you know the the technology allows greater transparency. Yep. Therefore, hopefully, um, you know it, it enables a better user experience, and therefore people will perhaps be more inclined to get involved with, um, as you say, picking up their shareholder perks, which may be a bar of chocolate or maybe a you know discount off their travel or, or whatever. But I, um, James, I'm mindful of time. Every time we seem to sort of run out of time. But any thoughts, ideas that spring to mind for you? You know, the, the whole time that I was reading the article and listening, I was, my brain was giving me issue with the word convergence and decentralization, mm-hmm. right? But I think he explained it. It, it made it click for me. Um, and unfortunately, the chocolate NFTs broke me. And all of a sudden, <laughs> now I'm just stuck thinking about chocolate and NFTs and, and I want more you chocolate. You've got Hershey stuff, haven't you, out there? That's the trouble. Our chocolate is, you know, all. Our chocolate is very Coinbase, right? There's only one kind of chocolate out here. Hershey's. The Swiss chocolates are really, really a sort of cut above the rest. I have to agree yeah. with you. James, so, we'd have to go for uh, what the great New York um, proxy for chocolate, which is um, strawberry shortcake from Venero's patisserie on the, uh, on the Lower East Side. Yeah. <laughs> then, oh, look at this guy, huh? <laughs> I, I knew you were a New Yorker, so uh, I had to throw that one in. Um, that was the standard thank you 
soft bribe uh, of its time uh, when everybody <laughs> worked in New York. You could get Hang a lot. On, we don't allow adverts on this on this show. What the hell's going on? Oh, chocolate on a cheesecake too, right? Remember the cheesecake. <laughs> All right, well, look, I think we'll leave it on the cheesecake note. Olive, thank you very much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Uh, re- really interesting. And if anyone would like to get a copy of Olive's article and more information about the Realisation Group, who I know he works with, then obviously you can contact uh, James at cyber.fm or go on to uh, digitalbytes.substack.com and you can download a copy of um, Olive's article that he's written in conjunction with a colleague, Helen Disney, who for regular listeners, you know, Helen's been on the show with us before. And um, we'll be back next week, James, with um, some more thoughts and analysis of what's happening with blockchain technology and digital assets. And I know you'll be sorting out the podcast um, as ever. So thanks for that, James. Yeah, you're going to start paying me in Swiss chocolate. (laughs) 